right, let's go ahead and uh, get started. Let me pray for us, and we'll uh, jump into a few things. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy in our lives, Father. Lord, today let us help us to leave here today, Father, with a full with a fuller realization and appreciation and worship um, of you and your good news. We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Uh, we're in uh, week three of this little series on uh, marriage and talking about this idea of going from surviving to thriving uh, in our marriages. And we looked at a few things um, along the way to do that. We started first that uh, maybe the first step to go to a thriving marriage to go from being hopeless to hopeful. No matter where you are in life, when there when when hope is gone is when things typically tend to go bad, right? We just have we just like Ugh, I can't do this anymore. When that hope is gone, we uh, it goes bad. And then last we looked at what it looks like to have real intimacy, how to go from distance to close. And um, and the things we need to get there, which is forgiveness and reconciliation. What's funny is uh, this morning I was looking at my notes from last week and for today, and there's kind of one common thread uh, for our marriages and for honestly just everything in life. It's this right here. It's when we look to let's say here our spouse before we look to Christ. We always get in trouble. You can put whatever you want to in that in that little blank right there. When we look to money, before we look to Christ. When we look to a job, we look to a relationship, we look to a house, whatever it might be, to something before we look to Christ, there's always problems. As we are kind of, my hope is that we're kind of getting some building blocks for our relationship, for our marriages. And as we're going... Uh, as we're trying to rebuild hope, um, maybe re- rebuild intimacy in our marriages, there's a key ingredient that we need. And it's this one word. It's mercy. Mercy. Mercy is needed because you and your spouse are sinners in the same household that have to put up with each other. We talked about last week one of the biggest intimacy breakers um, is our past, whether it's sins we've committed, whether it's sins against us that are still affecting us today, those things break intimacy. And here is the key thing. Both of you married people with past. You both did. And so what's going to happen in a marriage every single day is the sins, hurts from the past, annoyances, um, those things are going to be right in your face. And when we have mercy in a marriage, it makes those, the most inconsistent person in your life will be your spouse, outside of yourself, because you see them the most. And so what we need when we're in this day-to-day marriage, we need the sweetener of mercy. So there are some in this room who drink unsweet tea. And and you are in sin because of that, GT. Um, (laughs) The person that gets an unsweet tea and puts nothing in it will never, ever make sense to me in my entire life. (laughs) Never. 
like I've got to have uh, some sweetener to make this bearable. And hear this, mercy is the sweetener in marriage. Because every single day, your spouse will do ten things to offend you with their sin and annoy you with their personality. That sounds really dark. <laughs> but it's also true, isn't it? Listen, I love my wife more than life itself. I would die for my wife. Um, when I asked her father if I could, if she could kill me, when I asked uh, her father if I could marry her, he said, yes, of course. But i got to warn you, he's a slob. Uh, <laughs> and I told Tracy she got so mad at him for saying that. But he was a prophet. Uh, he was a prophet. <laughs> She's really, she, she has really grown in this. Um, but I'm a robot when it comes to things in the house. Like, in my opinion, everything should have a home. Amen? amen. That is, and half the room's like, amen. And I, I don't see dirty, but I do see unneat. Does that make, that's not a word. Um, I do see a lack of neatness. Um, and so my wife, um, through God's hand to sanctify me, loves to leave her shoes all over the house. It's like a little game we play. What can make Jason fall down? Is it Legos or Tracy's shoes? Most times it's her shoes. Um, here's my point. My wife, who I love and adore, every single day will do things to me that will make me want to not be merciful. And if I lean into that instead of mercy, our home becomes very bitter and not very sweet. And so don't say anything out loud. Please don't say it out loud and offend your spouse today. But maybe in your own mind and heart, you can evaluate, is our home a bitter home or, or is our home a sweet home? If I got your kids and I asked your kids to be honest, I said, is your home a sweet home or, or is it a bitter home? What would you say? And now when you do this, don't say this. Well, because they do this, my home is bitter. I want your spouse to put your own sin first. Which raises, I think, the first question for us is really important. Do you view God as a God of mercy? Do you view God as a God of mercy? Do you see your spouse as God sees him or her through eyes of mercy? Imagine how patient God is with you. God is with me. God is with us. And he is a patient father. Tracy's been out of town this weekend, and I've had the kids. Um, I am not always a patient father. Um, but when I look to him, his patience, his mercy knows no bounds. Listen, if your answer to maybe you don't see God as merciful, or, or you don't see your spouse the way God sees your spouse through a lens of mercy, if you say no to one of those, you probably have a bitter home. But mercy sweetens a marriage. Where mercy is absent, you have two people who are always seeking and finding the worst in each other. But where it's present, marriage is safer, it's sweeter, and more importantly, it points our spouse to the greatest hope, the mercy of Jesus. I think one of our greatest reasons for being married is to pass mercy on to another. There is no place that I practice mercy more or Tracy practices mercy more than in our marriage. 
and as we practice mercy to each other, that mercy begets mercy. Here's what I mean. Until I married my wife, I didn't understand the depth of my sin and my need for mercy. Right? And through her showing me mercy, I'm a better pastor to y'all. Through me showing mercy to Tracy, she's a better teacher to her first graders. Through your spouse showing mercy to you, you're better at showing mercy to others. Mercy in a home is where it's like cooked up, right? The ingredients are poured in. We have to learn to practice this. Now listen, mercy doesn't change the need to speak truth. It is unmerciful to not speak truth to our spouse. You know, back in the day, people used to watch, used to watch American Idol. Um, remember those the back in the day when they, people would just sing terribly? And you think, how in the world did, did no one ever tell them that they're terrible? That's not merciful not to tell your kid they can't sing. It's horrible. Tell your kid they're terrible. <laughs> tell them. But listen, it does transform our motivation from a desire to win battles to a desire to represent Christ. It's much difference, right? It takes me out of the center, and it puts Christ in the center. This requires mercy. Luke 6. Oh, yeah, text marriage if you want more resources. Text marriage. So that number there. Uh, brought to you by Verizon. Um, Luke 6. This is Jesus talking here. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. This is how we start with marriage. Um, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, turn off the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit does it that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that, is that to you? For even sinners do the same. I can hear us saying this right now. Well, well Luke 6 does not describe my marriage. My spouse is not my enemy. Um, you, you know, you don't, you don't uh, tell your enemy that I love you and I want to marry you. Um, I hope not. Um, people who curse and uh, utter horrible things don't often, you know, spend a life together. So, so what does this do have to do with marriage? And I think this has everything to do with our marriage. And here's why. Because it shows the comprehensive reach of Christ's mercy to others. By learning to address these, like, really far-out scenarios, it gives us a blueprint for everyday life. Here's why. When you know how to deal with your committed enemies, you know how to love your occasional enemies. Here's what I mean. There are committed enemies in our life. There are. People you don't like and they don't like you. Um, and your spouse, if you're honest, is sometimes an occasional enemy, right? If we can learn to love those who hate us, then we can learn to love those who sometimes are frustrated with us, which is our spouse. When you extend mercy to the spiteful, the violent, the selfish, the wicked, you can't extend it to those who ignore, annoy you and ignore you sometimes or disappoint you in a marriage sometimes. Now, I've got to do a, a big caveat here. Um, if, if someone's in an abusive relationship where um, 
they're being harmed physically, emotionally, sexually, whatever it might be, um, the way to practice mercy there is separation, right? So I am not telling you if you're in a situation right now where you're in a marriage where that's happening, that you should stay and just take it. That would be unmerciful. But where there is the everyday sins against one another, which is every marriage and relationship in this room, we're called to extend mercy. Mercy is given to be shared. And what mercy touches, it sweetens. But the question is how? How do we practice mercy in our marriage? First, to have mercy in our heart. We have to receive mercy. We must receive mercy. Ephesians 2, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Paul writes this. And you were dead. This is how we receive mercy. We come back to the gospel all the time. Verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our, er, in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were, by nature, children under wrath, as the others were also. And here comes verse 4. But God, who is rich in what? Mercy. Because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead our trespasses you were saved by grace we cannot practice mercy if we're not continually looking to Christ and the mercy he's given us we cannot do it and listen you're we are all the same we forget this mercy given to us every single day that's why the call to abide in Christ is so vital for us in our everyday life relationships and our marriages because if we're not abiding in the love of Christ, we're going to be fooled into thinking that we have achieved mercy and not received mercy. And mercy achieved is not mercy given, it's mercy hoarded, right? But mercy received is then mercy freely given. Our lives, our marriages must be but God marriages to be truly sweet. Too many times our marriages, our lives are but I did this. But I earned this. But I overcame this. And we put ourselves at the center, ourselves as the hero, ourselves as the Savior. And if we're the Savior and if we're the Lord, we're always going to withhold mercy from others. Too many times we see ourselves as the hero, as the but Jason and not the but God. And when that happens, our marriage suffers. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. Whenever I am frustrated with my wife, nine times out of ten, it's because I want to be served. That's it. I put myself at the center. So our first step to, to practice mercy in our marriage is to resolve to walk in mercy, to receive mercy. Second, we need to practice mercy before the fact. We need to practice kindness. So here's what I'm saying is we practice mercy before there's an offense. 
we should practice kindness in our marriage. One of the amazing things about God is that he sees and knows every past, present, and future sin, yet he still responds to me with kindness. God loves sinners. It's his kindness that leads to repentance, right? Romans 2. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Don't use his kindness to get away more with sin, but no, this kindness he has is meant to convict us of our sin and lead us back to him. Here's the key. We don't wait to be sinned against to practice mercy. Instead, we adopt the posture of being willing to experience the sin against us as part of building a God-glorifying marriage in a fallen world. Kindness says to our spouse, I know you're a sinner just like me, and you will sin against me, just like I sin against you, but I refuse to live defensively with you. I'm going to live leaning, I love this, leaning in your direction with a merciful posture that your sin, your weakness cannot erase. Hear this. A merciful marriage refuses to live defensively. Instead, they lean in with mercy. The question I have is, where are you leaning most times? Where are you leaning most times? Are you leaning in defensiveness? Are you leaning in mercy? Listen, your spouse is going to sin against you. Get ready. It's coming. It's going to happen today. Where are you leaning? Are you ready to attack or show mercy? Part of this is that this is just so hard because kindness does not come naturally to us, right? It's a fruit. Galatians 5, fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This comes back to that abiding piece, right? Abiding in God's kindness towards us leads us to practicing kindness in our marriage. The faithful practice of kindness sows sweet grace into our marriage. Here's how this sweet kindness looks like. It's learning to listen and encourage in your spouse's area of weakness. Not to be quick to speak, but slow to speak. It's to listen and encourage in the area of weakness that typically frustrates you and makes you defensive. We lean in with kindness and mercy. Uh, practicing kindness is, is getting the car gassed up. It's getting the car clean before a trip. Taking off your shoes, Tracy. It's things like that. I'm just kidding. Tracy, if you listen, I'm just kidding, Tracy, if you're listening on the podcast. Um <laughs> She is not listening, I promise you that. Um, not to me. Um, here, here's many times you can mark how kind and merciful I am by what time I get up. Here's what I mean. If I get up and I receive mercy, I receive kindness through God's word and through prayer, I practice mercy and kindness. I, I wish it was like there was some great grand secret of it's inputs affect our outputs. It's that simple. We are never going to show mercy that we have not received. And we receive that mercy every single day. 
So we receive mercy, we show kindness to beforehand, and last, this is mercy after the fact. We do unto others. This is going to be very practical. What do you do when you're in the middle of the conflict? Do you have conflict in your marriage? Everybody does. Um, Paul Tripp says this, this is good. In personal ministry, the sin of the person you're helping will eventually be revealed in your relationship. If you're ministering to an angry person, at some point, that anger will be directed at you. If you're helping a person who struggles with trust, at some point, she will distrust you. A mental person at some point will seek to manipulate you. A depressed person will tell you he tried everything he suggested and it didn't work. You can't stand next to a puddle without eventually being splashed by its mud. We're going to be splashed. That's going to happen. Like, their sin is going to get on you and your sin is going to get on them. Go back to Luke 6.31 real quick. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now, this is in the context of Jesus talking about enemies, right? He's giving instruction on how to react when you're under attack, right? Enemies are attacking. This is happening. How do you respond to that? How do you respond when you're under attack in your marriage, when there's conflict in your marriage, when your spouse's sin is splashing on you? Do we show mercy or do we practice self-righteousness? These are the two kind of ends of the spectrum. There's mercy and there's self-righteousness. Here are some practical ways that we can practice mercy and not self-righteousness in the middle of the conflict. First, remind yourself that your greatest enemy is your own sin. That is truth. Your greatest problem, your greatest enemy is not your spouse. It is your own sin. Ask each other this question. What behavior of mine expresses anger or lack of love for you? Take their answer and do the opposite. Do unto others, right? Love them in the way they want to be loved. So, I, you know, um, my wife told me that I say I'm sorry too much. She'll have a bad day, I say I'm sorry. She's like, well, you didn't do anything to me. So I had to ask her, okay, what should I say to you when you have a bad day? She's like, nothing, just listen. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll do that. Um, here's another one. Resist being defense attorney and fire the prosecuting attorney. I will, friends, there is one judge, there is one prosecutor, there is one person who will take care of your spouse's sin, and it's not you. It's not you. It's not you. So, so fire that person. Too many times we are arguing with our spouse about their sin. I'm not saying do not speak truth, but there is a way to do this in mercy and not self-righteousness. Next point. Memorize and apply the words of James. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. Most frustrations, most fears, most angers originate from some kind of something. Part of our job as a spouse is not to accuse and attack, but to investigate and love. 
What is the source of the hurt? What is the source of the sin? What is the idol being believed? Not to attack, but to love. And where patterns of sin remain, this is key, where patterns of sin remain, call in outside counsel from friends, pastors, and counselors. There are marriages in this room that they're in a, in a thick of sin they cannot get out of. You need outside counsel. It's not your spouse's job to fix you of deeply ingrained sins, habits, and addictions. It's not their job. Their job is to love you. And, and if these sins keep habitually happening and over and over and over again, then what we're doing is not killing the sin, and we need to seek outside help, right? It's like going from taking Tylenol to going to the doctor. Does that make sense? Like there's some things Tylenol can't take care of, a lot of things. So we, when those are happening, we go to the doctor to get those remedies. And here's what happens when we practice mercy in our marriages and our lives. This is the good news. It kills self-righteousness. It kills self-righteousness. Hear this. Mercy makes our marriages sweet. Self-righteousness makes them bitter. It's the unsweet tea of marriage. Sorry, GP. Self-righteousness is this sense of moral superiority that appoints us as prosecutor of other people's sinfulness. In this situation, we relate to others as if we're incapable of doing the sins they commit. They are so vile outside of God's grace, I can't believe they would do that. Self-righteousness wages war against mercy. And how we respond when we've been sinned against can reveal our self-righteousness. Here's the tell. It's when we become judge, prosecutor, and jury. We assign motive, record every single misstep, present our case, and judge them as wrong. And here's the problem with this. There's always lots of truth in our judgments. That's the hardest part about not being self-righteous in marriage. Because many times, what I'm saying is technically true. It's also not my role. Ways to battle self-righteousness. A, a few questions for us to ask. First, am I self-confident that I see the supposed facts clearly? Am, am I self-confident that I see things clearly? That's how you can diagnose yourself. Am I quick to assign motives when I feel I've been wronged? Right? Tracy's shoes left out. Oh, she doesn't care about me. She's being selfish. Is that what I do? That's self-righteous. Do I find it easy to build a case against someone that makes me seem right and them seem wrong? Do I ask questions with built-in assumptions I believe will prove me right? Or do I ask impartial questions, discovery questions, the kind that genuinely seeks new information regardless of its implica implications for my preferred outcome? Am I overly concerned about who is to blame for something? And lastly, do I dismiss questions like these as irrelevant? 
Like I hear these, like, ah, it doesn't matter. I'm good. Many times these are signs that we are walking in a bit of self-righteousness. Yeah. Practically, it's true. It's good, and I think there is no other thing in my life that turns that temperature up on self-righteousness than marriage. Nothing turns it up, right? You ever in one of those homes where like the heat's on in the summertime, right? That's what marriage is like sometimes. Like we're just like I just want to be right. And I want to show you how wrong you are. Right? Is that just me? If it is, don't say anything. Um, so here's a question I want to end with. What are you adding to your marriage? The sweetness of mercy or the bitterness of self-righteousness? What are you adding? No one's perfect here. Some of us get that half and half tea, right? <laughs> Normally a little bit of both. But I'm going to come back to this. Mercy received is mercy given. Mercy received is mercy given. The greatest boost you can give your marriage is to be obsessed with abiding with God. The greatest boost you can give your marriage is to be obsessed with abiding with God. I've only got one thing of homework for you this week. Just one thing. But I think it's probably the hardest thing I've asked so far. Before you, This week, before you criticize, examine your heart. Before you criticize, like I'm asking everybody for the impossible this week. Before you criticize, before the word comes out, examine your heart. Because um, I'm hoping we can build habits and postures of being merciful people and not self-righteous people. And if you're like me, when I look at my own heart, when I really stop and look at my own heart, I'm reminded of the depths of mercy that God has shown me. And and when I'm reminded of that, I promise you one thing I'm not is self-righteous. One thing I'm not is judgmental. Because the the mercy and grace and patience of God is overwhelming. So before you criticize, examine your own heart. Uh, Next week, I hope we're going to bring some of this together as far as building hope, intimacy, and mercy. And we're going to talk about how do we communicate in our marriages. Because I think many times what happens in communication with most people, we're, we're different, right? You've married somebody that's not like you. And we communicate and receive things differently. And sometimes we live a marriage of unintentionally offending our spouse over and over and over again. That's because we do not know how to listen and talk to our spouse. So that's my tease for, ne- that's a good tease right there for next week. If I had a jingle too, it'd be good to go, right? Um, but that's the tease for next week. 
Do not tell Tracy I brought up her shoes, please. It's our secret. She'll never listen to this. Um, so let's just keep it in here. Um, but uh, listen, here's the real issue. Is Tracy out of town this weekend, and I just really miss her, and so I keep thinking and talking about her. And so, um, so here's the thing. I want to end with this. Um, and it's, it's really the prayer for this entire series. You in this room, um, you have sins that we don't know about. You have uh, parents and possible abuse from them that we don't know about. Your parents might have gotten a divorce and that still hurts you today. You have things in your marriage story of how you sinned against each other that many don't know about in this room. You have things you probably do to your spouse in this room that we don't know about. And I feel like we just walk around with just uh, just a crap load of baggage. Excuse my language. Just all this baggage on us. And we're just like limping along. And we're crushed by this. And I just want to tell you with just as much love and truth as I can, that like, there is healing and freedom that is possible for you. There is. There are stories in this room that you don't know about that I'm blessed to know about of healing through all kinds of baggage. All kinds of baggage. But hear this. God sees you. He sees the dark parts. He sees the parts that you hide. He sees the hurts nobody knows about. He sees how you respond that nobody knows about. He sees all those things. What does God do? What does the Father do with the prodigal son? He runs after the wayward child. Maybe today you're a wayward child. It all looks good. You have money, retirement, nice house. Every Sunday, it all looks nice, right? But inside, nobody knows that you're wayward. So if that's you today, um, we're here to help. If you want to talk to somebody, come talk to me. Um, and I can point you to that will help you as well. And so do not sit in the baggage. Do not sit in the misery. There are times we as Christians, it's like we're walking around with all these illnesses and we refuse to take any kind of medicine. There's medicine. There's this, these means of grace that God has given us through confession through repentance, through the word, through godly counsel. These are means of grace to heal us in our hurts. Do not ignore those means of grace. Let me pray for us.